Our first scripture reading this morning is from the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Um, Old Testament scripture is from Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The next scripture is from James 3:18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. This is the word of the Lord. Wow, it's so good to be here together with you this morning online. We're so glad that you've taken the time to be with us. I think it's an understatement to say that coronavirus has disrupted our lives in an unprecedented way. We are now all now forced to be experts at social distancing, whether we're experts at it already or whether we choose to do it or not. You know, I was looking forward to tomorrow. I was planning on joining some pastors to go on a trip to Israel. But that, of course, has now been canceled because countries have closed their borders and we're trying to follow the wisdom of flattening this curve of exponential spread of this pandemic. Now, being this first trip to the region, I began to research and learn more about the history of the relationships there. The history of the relationships between Israelis and Palestinians. The history of how these borders have been created. History of how different nations around the world have supported one side from the West and those of the support of Arab countries around them. It's a land that is fraught with tensions at multiple levels and for generations and generations. The more I learned about this area, though, the more I was overwhelmed by the complexity of the conflict. Now, depending on which voices you listen to, you'll hear pronouncements that range from across this chasm chasm that's a huge gap. Jews claim their right to their God-given land. 
Palestinians claim to have lost their land and homes to people who have occupied them. What's the way out of this kind of conflict? Peace seems fleeting. It seems like an impossibility. Yet, out of this region, millennia ago, a man stepped in. He climbed up onto a mountain near the Sea of Galilee, and he made a series of pronouncements that changed the world forever. In light of our global turmoil, whether it's politics or pandemics, the words of Jesus in the Beatitudes seem so timely right now. Particularly today, as we look at this seventh Beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So we ask the question, what does it mean to be peacemakers now and in this place? Today, we're going to look at this in three steps. First is the uniqueness of peacemaking that Jesus calls us to, the challenge of this peacemaking, and the gift of peacemakers. Uniqueness, the challenge, and the gift. Now, as we've been learning through this series, the Beatitudes are not meant to be heard as commands to live out in order to get in to the kingdom of God. Instead, they are pronouncements of those who are already in the kingdom of God and how they will live in light of the good news of Jesus, grabbing a hold of their hearts. The Beatitudes aren't laws to live by to get God's blessing and to live a happy life, although that does happen. But rather, they are the fruits of those who have Jesus leading in their lives. So what does it mean to be a peacemaker? First of all, let's observe what Jesus isn't saying here. Jesus isn't saying, blessed are those who are wishing for peace. Or, blessed are the peace seekers. Now, those are certainly admirable desires. Peace wishers and peace seekers are those people who see that the world is not as it should be and that there is a better way to be living. And that's a good thing. But that's not quite peacemaking. Neither is peacemaking about peace-finding. It's not just about finding peace within yourself. In our highly individualized culture, we may find parts of our lives that seem disjointed with our experience. We might have emotional baggage from our past that colors the way we view the world around us and the relationships that we have. Our sense of who we are may seem at odds with the labels that we feel are foisted upon us. But here, Jesus is saying something very different about peace. It's not just peace wishing. It's not just peace finding within yourself. Jesus is saying, blessed are the peacemakers. Peace. Makers. Making. Making is something that humans are wired to do. We make music and art, like Rachel Trigo shared with us this weekend through her art shows, her virtual art shows that are installed here in this building. We make ideas and concepts sing and connect with people's hearts through writing and through poetry. We make buildings and computers and cars and technology that enables us to connect when we're not together in the same room to improve our lives. We make 
great food that we can share with others. We make plants and animals be more fruitful through our tending and through our caring. And maybe perhaps right now it seems even more urgent, we make vaccines and test kits so that we can eradicate disease. Making is this whole process of ordering and categorizing and solving and making beautiful, that making beauty that enhances all of created order. The story of scripture describes how when we make things that enhance the beauty and the goodness of the world around us, we are doing what God has created humans to do. Humans are made to make. You and I are made to make. Here Jesus declares that those who make peace are blessed. And this idea of peace found in scripture is more than an absence of conflict externally or an inner tranquility. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom, which is describing this all-encompassing flourishing of the world. It's used by Jews when they greet one another saying shalom to indicate peace be upon you. The Arabic equivalent is Salam alaikum, which says the same thing. The story of scripture is in some ways a greeting from the God of the universe to make peace with all of the world that is meant to be all-encompassing, to see the world flourish, to see every human and creature flourish. In fact, when Jesus arrived on the earth for the very first time, there was a prelude, an angelic prelude, that declared that very desire. Angels showed up to some shepherds in a field when Jesus arrived, and they said, peace on earth to those on whom God's favor rests. It's that same blessing. It's that same desire for a flourishing of all creation through this arrival of Jesus. God's shalom affects our relationship with others. God's shalom affects our relationship within and the relationship we have with the world around us. And in this pronouncement, those who make the world flourish at all levels are part of God's peacemaking work in the world. The uniqueness of this peacemaking is the kind of peace that is envisioned. It's way bigger. It's way more significant than our idea of peace. But even more unique is who Jesus calls into this peacemaking work. You see, those who are listening to Jesus as he teaches are expecting a messianic king, a long-awaited promised king to come that would lead Israel into a prosperous future, into what they envisioned as shalom. The zealots of Jesus' day attempted to make shalom by force against their Roman oppressors. And on the other hand, I think it's on the screen, yeah, the Pharisees are these religious leaders together with the Sadducees who wanted to make shalom through intellectual and spiritual purity. But they brought as much division within Israel by their sectarian commitments. In this pronouncement, we find that real peacemakers are those who participate with God in making peace in the world as they follow Jesus. You see, when God grabs a hold of our hearts, God grabs a hold of us when the good news of Jesus acts on us and we respond to his action. We become partners with God in divine work. We become peacemakers. Can you think of the incredible dignity of what God has invited us to do? 
Jesus calls you and I to be peacemakers, to make this world more beautiful, more righteous, more just. He calls people like you and I who are broken, who are wounded, who have these pasts, to be makers of shalom in the world. Jesus makes this proclamation before a group of people who and have seen God's kingdom break in to the vulnerable, to the marginalized, to the outcast, and the elite are listening in. And these are the kinds of people that are congratulated and celebrated in God's kingdom. They are the people that God uniquely entrusts to make peace in this world. And that leads us to the second point. The cause of suffering in this world goes beyond relations between people, or relations between nations, or economic, socioeconomic classes, or physical infirmities in our bodies. What's really wrong with this world? Is it wars? Is it suffering? Mental health and pandemics? Yes, those are problems. We don't want those things, but those are surface issues. At the core, these are theological and doctrine issues. How is that? Pope John Paul II comments on peacemaking, saying, Indeed, the fight against incipient wars cannot be carried out on a merely superficial level by treating the symptoms. It must be done in a radical way by attacking the causes. And he goes on to talk about two main threats to human rights. What he observes as, one, the unjust distribution of wealth, and two, injustice in the field of the spirit. Now, those are two interesting things, but scripture describes the cause of unrest in our world a little more explicitly. Peace in this world can only come when we get beyond human resistance to God and to the one that God has sent, whose name is Jesus. The underlying problem described in the story of Scripture is this, is that until human hearts are changed, we will never solve the problem by manipulating things on the surface, by addressing things on the surface. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't try and negotiate and make peace. But if we pin our faith on those processes, we will be disappointed. We don't understand life and the world from the standpoint of Scripture. In Scripture, we find that the trouble rises from the hearts of every human. And nothing but a new heart can deal with that problem. If you were with us last week, or you can listen, catch up online, Steve Park, the executive director of Little Lights Ministry uh, to low-income families here on the Hill, reminded us of the importance of a pure heart in the sixth beatitude. He quoted the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17.9, who said this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Our hearts are deceitful and beyond help. We all have, we may not have heart problems, but we all have a heart problem. And we have this heart problem. The Bible explains that our heart problem is sin. Sin is the explanation of all human lusts and greed and selfishness and self-centeredness. Sin is at the root of all human conflict and conflict in creation. Sin is our tendency to make, take matters into our own hands and to define what is good and what is happy on our terms. Sin is bending away from the goodness of God. 
And in this election year, we may have heard politicians quote Jesus' teachings on the Sermon on the Mount to appeal and connect with people of faith. But without a doctrine of sin, the Beatitudes only become a humanistic ideal to better our world. Peacemaking, without acknowledging the reality of sin in our world, remains only as peace-wishing or peace-finding. We can't make peace without having being made at peace with the most important relationship in the universe, our relationship with the living God. So what's required to be a peacemaker? Only one thing. You need a new heart. You need a new view on life. We need a new outlook on what it means to be human and what is wrong with this world and what it means to solve the problems of our world. And it's only with this new heart made possible by Jesus that we can live out these Beatitudes. Only one who is poor in spirit, only one who is hungering and thirsting for righteousness, only one who is pure in heart can be a peacemaker. Only one who is forgetful of self, that is, meek. Only one who is merciful can be a true peacemaker. And as we've been learning in these first six Beatitudes, none of these qualities can be accomplished sufficiently or naturally by our own effort. Martin Lloyd-Jones, an Anglican pastor, says this, The peacemaker is one who is not always looking at everything in terms of the effect it has upon themselves. Peacemaker doesn't just think about what happens to me. See, that's our problem. We're always looking at how everything affects me. What does this mean to me? What does this do to me? This is not fair to me. What about my rights? What will people think of me? But peacemakers have a new view of themselves. Peacemakers see themselves as poor in spirit, thirsting for righteousness. They don't stand on rights and privileges. Peacemakers have forgotten about themselves. Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik wrote in his book, The Lonely Man of Faith, developing a distinction between what he calls Adam 1 and Adam 2. In every person, there is an Adam 1, or if you like, an Eve 1 and an Eve 2. Adam 1 is concerned with resume virtues. Here are my qualities on display. Here are my skills. Here are my values. Here is the version of me that everyone sees. We also have this Adam too. And Adam too is concerned with eulogy virtues, those qualities that are less visible, but very important, like character and morality. And these things develop unseen over time. Adam too has the humility to suppress the needs and the desires of self for the sake of the lar- larger community. Now, in our current health pandemic, Adam 1s are those who are going to go party, saying, I don't have to work, so we're going out. Posting on social media about the fun to be had. Look at me, I'm fine. I ain't afraid of nothing. But what we need is more Adam 2s. In our self-imposed quarantines, in our social distancing, staying at home, only going out once a week for groceries, so we can flatten this exponential curve of the pandemic. Adam 2's arise so that we can protect those who are most vulnerable and delay when, not if, but when our hospitals will overflow and when doctors will be forced to choose between who to treat and who not to treat and allow to die. 
because that's likely to come. We need Adam II leaders who aren't concerned about protecting their image or protecting their positions or protecting their stock portfolios before announcements are made, but to give of themselves for the common good for all. Followers of Christ acknowledge that these two versions of themselves exist and that they want to be finished with Adam I. And it is through the person and work of Jesus that true peace comes and that Adam II may truly flourish. The challenge of peacemaking is a challenge of this new heart that does not look at defending our self and viewing the world as how does this affect me and my life. The good news is that being able to make peace comes from the gift of being made peace for us in Jesus. The only way to through this challenge of self to a new heart towards embracing Adam too is by responding to the good news of Jesus. There's a reason Jesus declared this as good news, not just as good advice or not just as a good rule to follow. You see, it's simply a gift to be received and believed. We just have to believe the news and receive it as a gift to us. We can't make the news, but we can try. But as the good news of God's kingdom takes a hold of our hearts, we find that our motivation is no longer about protecting our self. Instead, we find this freedom in sharing this gift of God with others. We begin to desire the fullness of God's goodness and God's beauty to be displayed in this world. It's what the Bible calls God's glory. All of God's beauty, all of God's justice, all of God's goodness, in all of its flourishing, that's what the glory of God is. Jesus was not concerned about his self, but he would simply be concerned for the glory of God the Father. Wars, conflict, disease, suffering, these are all things that detract from the glory of God. So we should be concerned for these things as peacemakers. But we become gifts of making peace in this world because of the one peacemaker who comes to us. Earlier, less read the prophet Isaiah, anticipating the peacemaker's arrival. In Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, saying, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Those who receive this free gift of peace with God in Christ are called children of God. You see, the gift comes freely to us, but not without cost. The cost of peacemaking by the true peacemaker is death on, on the cross. It's a costly journey that we remember now in the season of Lent as we head towards Easter. Those who receive the peacemaker become children of God who share that peace in the world. And that's the point of this beatitude. Those who receive the gift of the, the peacemaker begin to live truly as God's children. And as God's children, we begin making peace wherever we go. Now, if you've been paying attention to the order of the Beatitudes, you may note that this is the seventh Beatitude. In Scripture, seven indicates wholeness, 
and completeness. In the creation narrative, the seventh day was the Sabbath, the day of rest, after six days of creation. It was complete. We're told that God saw that his work was good. Sabbath is a day for humankind to embrace God's goodness, to rest. And I wonder if Jesus, in his wisdom, ordered the Beatitudes this way in order to say, one who lives according to the first six Beatitudes receives the grace of peace and is empowered to spread this peace wherever they go as a peacemaker. One who lives according to the first six Beatitudes reflects the wholeness and the completeness of the living God and so can join God in making peace in the world. Renowned 19th century Russian saint, revered by both Orthodox and Catholic sisters and brothers, Saint Seraphim of Serov writes this, Acquire interior peace, and a multitude will find salvation through you. In other words, if you know the peace of God, if you experience God's peace through Jesus, many others will come to know this peace through you. As we follow in Christ's footsteps, we find that we too, in our gift of making peace in the world, can be costly though. The first six Beatitudes describe these qualifications in some ways for peacemaking. And the one that follows this, the eighth Beatitude, says that, and that we're going to look at next week, describes the consequence of doing God's peacemaking in the world. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. You see, engaging in God's work, engaging in peacemaking may result in trouble for each one of us. It may be costly. E. Stanley Jones is a Methodist, was a Methodist missionary to India, and he wrote this, and he made this observation, saying, people hate to be disturbed, even for the better. That's where persecution comes from. About two months ago, I was involved in an accident on my bike just a few blocks away from here when a driver turned left in front of me, causing me to ride straight into the hood of the car. Now, I know the answer that to the question that you're about to ask. Is the bike okay? Fortunately, it's just the front wheel that needs to be replaced. And oh, me, in case you're wondering about me, I survived with minor bumps and some whiplash. But to help with the whiplash, I began to see a physical therapist. And when I went to the physical therapist, they began giving me some deep tissue massages, and they put this really, really comfy heat wrap thing that allowed me to fall asleep while I lied on the, on the, on the, on the bench. But that wasn't it. They made me work. They gave me exercises to do at home. And what I discovered is that physical therapy isn't there just to make you feel good. They ask you to do things so that you get stronger and build better habits so that you can become whole again. But to be made whole, it was going to cost me some effort. But that's easy, costly things. To be a peacemaker and bear the gift of God's shalom in the world, it will cost us too. Perhaps in a few of these ways. You know, peacemaking means sometimes that we learn when not to speak. We control our tongues. We are quick to listen and slow to speak. And I know that's hard for us Americans in expressing our opinions. Sometimes that means withholding gossip. You see, the natural person... Adam, one version of us, says, I must express my mind. Everyone deserves to know what I'm thinking. But 
What if we defined the effectiveness of our communication, not by our intention, but by the impact it has on others? Secondly, it will cost us in advocating and siding with the vulnerable and the oppressed. When something arises and the gospel works in our hearts, as a church, we say, how will this affect those who are most vulnerable? How will this affect those who don't have a safety net? And how can we stand on their side? Sometimes that will be costly financially for us. Sometimes it will be costly for our image and respect. But we are in the business of making peace with God. Third way that it can be costly for us is in conflict. No one ever likes to be the first one to say, I'm sorry. But peacemakers humbly take the first step. Sometimes making peace in the midst of conflict means that we are the first to take a step, even if it means humbling ourselves, even if it means apologizing when we feel like the other person has done a greater wrong. Lastly, the cost of peacemaking is that wherever we go, we are diffusing peace. Not D-E-F-U-S, but D-I-F-F-U-S. Diffusing peace wherever we go. We are selfless. We are loving and caring and compassionate. We are approachable. And that costs us. James 3.18, as was read earlier, says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. To be a peacemaker means that we are constantly sowing into the world. We are sowing mercy. We are sowing generosity. We are sowing compassion. We are sowing grace. But we only do this by God's grace at work in our hearts. We mean, that means we are looking for opportunities to diffuse God's beauty and goodness in places where they need to be seen. Let's be peacemakers. It's a unique calling. It's a challenging calling. But it's an incredible gift to the world because of the peacemaker who comes to us. Let's pray. Jesus, in this time, in this world, sitting in our homes, watching the news, thinking of our friends and family, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can say it's difficult to be at peace. But thank you, Jesus, that you are faithful, you are good, and that you have come once before and you are continuing to reach out to each one of us. Will you meet each one of us in our anxieties and fears? May we just know this peace that you have come to offer through the good news of what you've done on the cross and this new life that we have in God. Thank you for this new heart that you've given to us. And if you're listening and you've never taken the step to say, Jesus, I want to be a peacemaker. I want to have this new heart because I recognize I can't do this on my own. You can just say yes to Jesus. I want to know you. I want to trust you. Forgive me of relying on my own self and strength. Because that makes me anxious. I want to know your peace. And if that's you and you prayed that, uh, let, let me know. You can email me, andrew at wcfchurch.org. And I'd love to pray together with you. And for the rest of us, as we continue in going out in the world when it's safe, may we be peacemakers. May we be encouragers of those around us. May we find opportunities to bear your goodness and your generosity and your love wherever we go. We thank you that we are not left alone in this. You've given us your spirit. 
And Jesus, you are leading us. So continue that work in us. Continue that work through us. In Jesus' name we pray.